Mark chapter 2 and verse, um, maybe I could do like a video from, from home. I could do that. For those who show up at 9 and 11, I could, uh, I won't do that. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, uh, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. Verse 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you would uh, flip over to Luke chapter five, I want to read just a few verses from Luke five. And this is really the companion text of Mark two. It's the same story with just some additional comments, uh, some additional details given by Luke. Luke five 27, after these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And and he said to him, follow me. So he left all. He rose up and followed him. And Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And again, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Holy Spirit, thank you that we can remember your faithfulness. And even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. I thank you for that. Lord, as we walk through this season in our nation and indeed in the world, um, it's very easy to turn inward and care for ourselves and protect our own lives and our own means. But you have called us to look beyond just ourselves and see a world that is desperate without you a harvest that is white already to harvest, a harvest that is made up of the couldn'ts and the shouldn'ts. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see today that you are reaching out to those who some would say shouldn't ever make their way to you. I pray, God, that you would give us an enlarged vision, not only of their plight, but of our own lives and recognize that we too are the shouldn'ts. Holy Spirit, speak to us in these next few minutes. I ask for your anointing, not because I deserve it, but Lord, because I need it to rightly divide the word of truth. May I speak, Lord, as your oracle. May I speak with clarity, simplicity, with boldness and authority. And may the word of God supernaturally captivate our attention, convict our hearts, and draw us closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, um, this is the second week of a three-week emphasis um, with this title, Bring Them to Jesus. But our emphasis 
is beyond just um, our community. Certainly it is that. But our emphasis is on a world that is in need of Christ. Last week, Pastor Josh took the opening verses of Mark chapter 2 and did a marvelous job unpacking for us the, the couldn't that Jesus ministered to. You remember the story that he laid out for us, one that many of us grew up hearing and knowing, and the story of the paralytic man who had four friends that knew that if they could just get him to Jesus, he could be healed. But he was on a mat, he was paralyzed, and he had no way of getting there himself. The four friends heard that Jesus was in town and he was teaching in this home. And so they decided that they would do whatever it would take to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. But when they got to the home, the home was full of people. The door could not even be dislodged. And the text actually says, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus. But the four friends were not going to be stopped by a couldn't. Instead, they climbed on top of the roof with the paralyzed man on the mats and they cut a hole in the roof and they let the man down into the midst of the crowd and Jesus teaching. And that day, that man got off that mat and walked because his friends and Jesus would not be stopped by the couldn't. I wanted to use that same text or build off of that text this morning Because it follows beautifully the story of the paralytic. Luke's account of that same story, that's why I read it, fills in some of the holes to this story. How how many remember the old adage, you know, the character of a man by the company that he keeps? How many have heard that statement? We've all heard it. We probably have all said it before. You know, the character of a man by the company that he keeps. You think about that in light of Jesus, what does that tell you about Jesus? Think about the company that Jesus kept. If his character could be measured by the company that he kept, we might have a different view of the one that we call our Savior and Redeemer. The recruitment process of Jesus, uh, as told by Luke, is kind of remarkable. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, this is right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. He says this, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Notice this, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, or the good news to, number one, the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's called me to recover sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus announces right off the bat, here's who my ministry is going to be to. It is going to be to the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. And so when you think about the company that Jesus kept, if you can really measure his character by that company, one would question possibly the character of Christ. But we know that there is something much deeper to that reality. In Luke chapter 5, the um, recruitment policy of Jesus is put into place. And I just want to focus our attention there for a few minutes. Here's what it looks like. In Luke chapter 5, we see that the first one that Jesus calls is Peter um, or Simon. We know him by Peter. Jesus would simply say, I want you, follow me. And these people would get in line and they would follow after Jesus. And so we get to Luke chapter 5 and verse number 1, and he meets up with Peter, and he says to Peter, I want you to follow me. 
Now, Simon would later have his name changed to Peter, was not a rabbi. He was not a seminarian. He was a fisherman that was given a new name, a name which meant a rock. But if you read this life of Peter, there's nothing about Peter's life that really looked steadfast. As a matter of fact, he waffled all the time, back and forth, couldn't seem to make up his mind. He was anything but a rock. And yet in Luke 5, he is the first of Jesus, by Jesus, to be called. He is a fisherman with no teaching skills. He would later learn those or be anointed by the Spirit. He was unschooled. He was just ordinary, but he was part of the establishment. He was a Jew. And then he gets to two more fishermen, James and John. James and John left their fishing business and they followed Jesus because he called them no longer to be fishers of fish, but to be fishers of men. And they jumped in with Peter and they followed along. And so now he has three fishermen following him. We get to Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. He calls a leper. And the leper is a spiritual outsider. Nobody wanted to touch him because if they touched the leper, they couldn't go to the temple to worship and they couldn't offer a sacrifice. So he is a spiritual outcast. So now Jesus has three fishermen, kind of duds, non-seminarians, non-intellectual type, just fishermen. And now he adds to that crew a leper who is a spiritual outcast. And then we get to verse 18 and he calls the paralytic. The man who has been paralyzed, laying on his mat, who is not a spiritual outsider, but he's a physical outsider because he can't get to anyone. Life is just kind of passing him by. Jesus comes and goes and he can't get to Jesus on his own. There are no social services to help him. He is watching as Jesus passes by. But the friends bring him to Jesus. And so now we get into Luke chapter 5 and Jesus has three fishermen, a leper, and a paralytic. There is a team, right? Basketball team. I don't know who the center is or the guards or the forwards, but he's got his first five selected. Who is going to be next? Now, if you were a Jew and you were reading this, when you read the first five that he called and you get to verse 27, we're going to put it on the screen. You're really going to be disturbed. After this, after three fishermen, a leper and a paralytic, He goes out and he sees a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. If you're just a casual reader reading this for the first time and you were a Jew and you understand the culture of honor and shame and who you want to be around and who you don't want to be around, you are immediately going to say, no, not a tax collector. You might say, well, the fishermen were surprising and The leper, well, that addition was a nice touch. And boy, it was really kind to bring the paralytic along. It's quite a motley crew you have, but would you stop? Don't bring on the tax collector. Don't ask him to follow you, Jesus. Now, I know that's kind of a weird way to abruptly end an introduction. I couldn't do any better than that. That's that's as far as I can go with the intro. It brings me to the first point, and that is this. There are those that all of us, if we are honest with ourselves, in those moments that nobody is watching or listening or hearing, there are those that we all at one time or another have thought shouldn't be invited into the kingdom. A first century tax collector was a, I don't know how else to say it, but he was a scumbag to the rest of the Jewish nation. They worked for the enemy. 
They worked for the Romans. They were Rome's go-between. The tax collector was the Jewish face of Roman oppression. They helped bring their own Jewish people under Roman domination, stole from their own people, became personally wealthy because they could take from their own people in their position of power. Levi was in harmony with the enemy. And he was getting rich off of the misery of his own people. He was one that if you would ask any other Jew around, definitely shouldn't be allowed into the kingdom. He'd done too much harm. He was too much of a disgrace. He had hurt the people too deeply. He shouldn't be invited to the kingdom. Certainly, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand here. I won't do that. But we all have our own list of the shouldn'ts. For some, it may be the Muslim that's across the street that dresses different, acts different, worships different. And we have this sense of hatred toward them. It may be the homosexual or transgender activists that surely not shouldn't be allowed in the kingdom. It might be the politician from the other party. That might be more appropriate today. Or it might be the person who hurt us. And we just can't forgive them. We just don't think they really should be invited. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Um, that also comes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It sounds so nice. We like to sing that. Jesus, a friend of sinners. It's in one of the great songs. And, and we kind of get warm, fuzzy feeling about that because that's the kind of Lord we want. He's a, a friend of the sinner. But when we think of sinners, we're kind of thinking of those diamonds in the rough kind of sinners. Those people that if they were just nudged in the right direction, they'd be good people. They're pretty much like us anyway. They just need Jesus. You know, we say that person would be a great Christian someday. You know, those kind of people, we are so glad that Jesus is a friend of those sinners that are just like us. All they need is to come to Christ and we're really comfortable and we're really proud of our savior for being a friend of sinners. He likes those lovable rogues that we can't wait for them to be a part of us. But Levi was a traitor. He was a Roman collaborator. He was a scumbag. And Jesus was his friend and said, I want you follow me. Pastor Matt Chandler, many of you know that name, great pastor, great author, tells the story about a time that he and a couple of friends invited a young lady by the name of Kim. She was not a Christian. Invited Kim to a gospel concert and Matt was hopeful that she would come to Christ that evening. But what occurred instead was a train wreck of an event. Later, Matt was grateful for the experience because it taught him a lot about how to proclaim Christ and his holiness and how not to. But he talks about that night. The preacher took the stage after some of the music and the disaster ensued. He was a very hardcore speaker. He began to give a lot of statistics about sexually transmitted diseases and in a very condescending tone would say things like, you don't want syphilis, do you? 
His big illustration at the end of the night was to take out a, a, a rose, a single red rose. As most evangelists do in a very dramatic fashion, he smelled the beauty of that rose. It was beautiful. He bragged about how it had just been cut that day. He caressed its petals. And then he encouraged everyone to pass it around in the crowd. And he spent the next 10 or 15 minutes talking. And he said, just pass it around. Pass it around from one person to another. And when he finished his sermon, he asked for the rose back. Well, by the time the rose had passed around for the last 15 or 20 minutes, and it was handed back to him, he held up this now very ugly rose, was broken and drooping, the petals were falling off. And he says this, now who would want this rose? His word and his tone were without mercy. His message that was supposed to represent the gospel of Jesus to a world of sinners was, hey, don't be a dirty rose. Matt didn't hear from Kim for a few weeks until one day her mother called and told Pastor Matt that she had been in a car accident, a serious car accident. And so he rushed to her hospital room to visit her. And in the middle of the conversation, out of nowhere, she said to him, you don't think, you don't think I'm a dirty rose, do you? Matt Chandler said his heart sank within him as he began to explain to her the whole weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he wants that rose. He wants to restore it. He's not ashamed of it. It's Jesus' desire to save, redeem, and restore the dirty rose. Can I just tell you this morning, we may have some that we think shouldn't, but Jesus has none. He is willing that none perish, but all come to repentance. Say amen if you believe that this morning. Number two, when, when the shouldn't, um, in this true, when the shouldn't experiences the kingdom, they're the ones that bring others with them readily. They're the ones that, that draw the crowd. I have pastored for 35 years and I can tell you that the people that will want to bring people to church are the people that have recently been saved and changed because they want everybody to know what Christ has done in their life. And I just, I want to pause for just a moment and pray that God would renew that in us. Those of us who have been Christians for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, where is our passion to say, come see this Jesus who changed my life. It might've been 40 years ago, but it's been quite a journey. I'm growing with him. We need to have that same passion. Look at what the text says. After this, he went out, saw the tax collector, saying to the tax booth, and he said to Levi, follow me. And he left everything and he followed him. And then he made, look, Levi then makes a great feast in his house. And he invites all of his tax collector scumbag friends over and they're reclining at the table with Jesus. He wants all of his friends there. Jesus calls Levi, notice this, and he follows. There's no future guaranteed now for Levi. He has left a life where he had status. He had a guaranteed income. He was financially secure, but now he is leaving with absolutely no assurance of what might be ahead. But he followed Jesus, even though it meant his job and he meant his livelihood. Let, let me say something to you. When you say yes to following Jesus, there's not tons of guarantees, but there is this guarantee. 
You may not get other things, but you will get Jesus. If you say yes to following him, you will get him. And how many know if you get Jesus, that's good enough, right? And Levi followed him and he invited all of his friends over for dinner. I want you to really get this part. This is maybe one of my favorite parts of this whole message. The name Levi, of course, has significance. Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And you remember what the Levites did? They were the priests. Remember, the Levites were the ones. What, what did a priest do? A, a, a priest was a go-between. A priest was the go-between between sinful humanity and holy God. It was the job of the priest to, to get in between and build the bridge so that an unholy person could make their way into the presence of God. So every time a Jewish couple had a son and they named him Levi, they named him with the hope that he would be a go-between, that he would bring people into the presence of God. Levi was meant to be a go-between, but his life was mixed up. The only go-betweening he was doing was he was a go-between the Romans and the Jews stealing the Jews' money as he required their taxes. Greed and pride had overtaken him and his life was out of kilter and it was off track. His sin, listen, look at me, his sin had made him the opposite of what he was destined to be. But now Jesus was calling him to become what he was created to be, his true self. Can I tell you that when Jesus steps into your life, he comes to reverse what the enemy has tried to do in your life. He wants to restore you to become what God intended for you to become. And so Levi does. The first thing Levi does, his parents would have been so proud when they named him Levi and they thought he was going to bring people to God. The first thing he does is he calls for a banquet and he brings all of his other sinner friends to the banquet. And this is his first opportunity to be the priest. Come see Jesus, he changed my life and now he can change yours as well. People changed by Christ are always the best witnesses. Jesus doesn't come into our lives to stomp out the fun. He comes into our lives to make us become what we were created to be our best self. And Levi became a bridge builder. William Temple, the Bishop of Canterbury. This is a great statement. I love this. Um, he, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury. He said this, it is quite futile saying to people, go to the cross. We've got to be able to say, come to the cross. And there's only two voices that can issue that invitation. One is the voice of the sinless redeemer with which we cannot speak. And the other is the voice of the forgiven sinner who knows himself forgiven. And that is our part. The only people that can say, come to the cross, number one, are Jesus, and we're not him. And forgiven sinners who have been to the cross who can say to their friends, come to the cross. Come to the table and meet Jesus. Number three, um, and this is important, when the shouldn't meet Jesus, I like this too. I like my sermon, by the way. I hope that's okay, all right? I like this point as well. 
I realized I just said that for the third time. When this should it, and it's also the third time I preached it, you don't want to be here at one o'clock because I'm really going to be bragging on myself, all right? So third point, when the shouldn't meet Jesus, they wonder why they waited so long. Levi made a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That accusation gets, look, it gets repeated in Luke chapter 7. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I want you to be a little imaginative here for just a moment. Look at Jesus at this party. He's clearly, I don't think I'm embellishing here at all, he's clearly having enough fun with sinners for it to tick off religious people. All right, if he was just being real spiritual and real prudish and, and acting like he was really bored and better than them, they wouldn't have said anything. He's having enough fun at this party that they are leveling an accusation against him. Look at him partying with the sinners. But despite the accusa- accusation, Jesus did not cut back on the parties. After the accusation in chapter 5, we see him at chapter 7. He's invited and he accepts another invitation at another dinner. And it's at this dinner that a woman comes in from the city, a woman probably of ill repute, and she anoints Jesus with this expensive ointment. And she, she worships him there. And all the spiritually religious people criticize, but Jesus welcomes her coming. People followed Jesus quickly, not because he was some boring rabbi, but they followed him because he laughed, because he had a sense of humor, because he came not to squelch life, but to bring life more abundantly. Levi was all wrapped up in knots, trying to make money, and the burden that left when Jesus changed him, he threw it all away. And he enjoyed the presence of Jesus. And he so enjoyed it that he invited his friends to come. And they too enjoyed it. And what happens is those who shouldn't, when they meet Jesus, they wonder, why did we wait so long? There is an attractiveness to following Jesus. One day he's going to host this huge banquet called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Folks, it's not going to be a boring banquet with a boring speaker after you've eaten. It is going to be the height of life abundance. Those who shouldn't, when they follow Jesus, they wonder why they waited so long. I love this story by Philip Yancey. Um, he, he tells this story. He said, my pastor decided to pull a vacation surprise on his four children. And he told his children, he said, we're going to go to Junction City, Kansas. That is our vacation this year. They were smaller children. And he told them, uh, my dad used to pastor a church there. We're going to check out the church building and we can have lots of fun there. Uh, Meanwhile, Peter, the father, was making secret plans to just spend one day in Junction City, Kansas. And he was going to head to Disney World, where they were going to have a great time. But his children, you know how children are. They always trust dad and dad is right. And they're young enough to believe that Junction City is the place to go. So they bragged to all their friends. We're going to Junction City, Kansas. And the kids are kind of skeptical, but they're so proud of it. We're going to go there for vacation. It's great. And all during the long drive from Denver to Junction City, dad kept 
propping up their morale by describing the wonders of that church that they were going to tour that his dad had pastored. Incredible ice cream that they were going to eat, the, the pool and the motel that they were going to enjoy. And he even said, there might even be a bowling alley. We can bowl with and the kids are all fired up. So after touring granddad's old church, the kids are ready to check into the hotel and go swimming when their dad drops the bombshell to them. He said, so you know something, it's kind of boring here in Junction City. He said, uh, let's hop back in the station wagon. How many ever rode in the station wagon, all right? How many ever rode in the station wagon was facing to the back? Anybody ever do? One of those great days, right? We call it the way back, and, and we'd be in the way back watching out. But anyway, I, I digress. So he says, hop back, hop back in the station wagon, and we are going to go to Disney World. And mom, who is kind of a, you know, she's with him in this tag team event, she pulls out four um, four Mickey Mouse ears and trying to put them on the kids. They're all getting excited. She thinks to go to Disney World and the kids start complaining. Who wants to get back in the station wagon? What about the swimming pool? Pool, you promised. I thought we were going to go bowling. And dad wants to take him to Disney World. He spent the next few hours behind the wheel smoldering as his children expanded on all the advantages they could have had had they stayed in Junction City instead of going to Disney World. The whole thing reminded him of that famous quote from C.S. Lewis. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Later, Peter, in his sermon, said he learned a valuable lesson that our desires are too small. We stomp our feet and we insist on a merry-go-round in Junction City when Disney World's Space Mountain lies just down the road. Christians have become way too satisfied, way too bored with this abundant life. But somebody who shouldn't that meets Jesus wonders why in the world did they wait so long? And let me give you the fourth point and I'll be done. We have to come to grips with the fact that we are all the shouldn't. Every one of us, everyone in this room, this man right here, every one of you, we are all the shouldn't. Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, those who are well don't need a doctor. Those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous but it came to call sinners to repentance. You see, the religious leaders and the Pharisees were the opposites of the outsiders and the outcasts. They were the insiders. They had, they had a real handle to this spiritual thing. And now Jesus started with three fishermen and a leper and a paralytic and a tax collector and now all of his tax collector friends. And the religious people had just about had it. Are you serious right now, Jesus? Why in the world are you hanging out with all of the shouldn'ts? They were so mad that Jesus was letting in others that they tried to stop him with their accusations because he was picking all the wrong people. But his reply to them was, guys, I'm a doctor. And they're sick. And they need to be made well. 
don't know about you, but I don't particularly enjoy going to the doctor. I try to avoid it. But when I get there, when I get there, I remember every ailment I've ever had. Anybody else do that? It's like, I got this bump on my head. My ears are clogged and my foot hurts a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to go. But when I get there, I just, you know, it's just starting to tell them everything. And they want to then have four more appointments to deal with all of those things. But generally, I'm healthy and healthy people don't think they need to go to the doctor. We don't know Jesus well enough, most of us, because we think we are so healthy And unless we admit we're sick, we're not really ever going to get to know him all that well. Chicken pox. How many have ever had chicken pox? You had those spots everywhere. Remember, Kyle was probably two and a half years old when he had him and Kayla was born. She was just, just a tiny little baby in the baby swing. I remember it had spots, chicken pox all over her face, just covered with them. And, um, you know, you, you can, you can cover up those spots. You could put makeup on them or calamine lotion or, uh, I hope that's right, because that's the third time I said calamine lotion. Nobody has, has uh, told me I was wrong. So I think that's right. But you can cover up those spots, and, um, and, but, but you can cover them up. But the problem isn't the spots. The problem is what's on the inside. There's a virus that's causing that sickness. We all have spots, folks. They're just different kinds. Some of us might be pride or envy. Some it might be lust or alcohol. Some it might be hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness or anger. Some might be obvious like the tax collector, but every one of us, look at me, every one of us has spots. And no matter what our spots are, we can't heal ourselves. We need a physician. We need a healer. It's not a sickness in our hair or our skin or our arm, our leg. It's a sickness of the heart. And unless the heart doctor heals it, we will remain sick. But if we never come to him, the sickness remains. We can cover up the spots. Adam and Eve covered up their nakedness with fig leaves. We can cover up the spots. But it doesn't change the fact that there's a heart that needs Jesus. We have to first admit we are sick. That we too are the shouldn'ts. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. He picks those who say, don't pick me, I'm unworthy. Jesus says, you're the kind I want. You're the kind that I can heal and restore. Are you the shouldn't this morning? Before you try to answer that yourself, let me answer it for you. We are all, we're all the shouldn't. Why don't you stand with me, but please hold still if you would. I want to share with you one last story. And I said this in last night's service and in the nine o'clock service. I, I really hesitated whether to share this or not because it's, it's somewhat straightforward, not graphic in the sense of, it's not graphic, but it, it is a real straightforward thing that I don't, wouldn't normally share, but it makes the point so perfectly. I want you to get it, all right? Closing the Window was a book Tim Chester wrote. And... Uh, In this book, he shares quotes of men who struggle with the guilt and the condemnation of pornography addiction. I'll just share with you three or four of them. One man said, it made me want to hide from God. Makes me doubt my salvation. Then the depression comes. 
And with the depression comes the temptation to sin again. That's how addiction works. Another one said, I feel crap about myself. I don't feel worthy to serve God and I don't believe I can break the habit. Another one said, I feel dirty and unable to approach God. So often I feel unable to come to him in repentance, even though I know that he will deal with my sin and forgive me. And another one said, I couldn't talk with God about my problems because my picture of God was that he would accept me if and when I had scrubbed up enough. So Chester, walking a very fine line without condoning the sin of pornography, addiction, or any other sin. He offers these words of hope. These are the words that I was a little hesitant to share because they are so in your face. Jesus lived God's welcome to sinners. He embodied God's mercy. He was known as a friend of sinners. The religious people didn't like it because it turned their proud systems of self-righteousness upside down. But Jesus sat down with the prostitutes, the adulterers, and the porn addicts. On the cross, God treated Christ as a porn user. Wait a minute. That's too much for me, Pastor Kevin. Look at how he paraphrases. It should say 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Jesus who never looked with lust to be a porn addict for us so that in him we might become sexually pure. I don't know if I buy that or not. Let me tell you what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he made him who never was bitter to become bitter for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He made him who never had an angry thought to become filled with angry thoughts so that I might become the righteousness of God. He made him who never struggled with anger, who never said a coarse word. He made him to become a one filled with anger, saying coarse words so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus, listen, your theology is wrong if you think he just paid for your sin. He took your sin. He became sin for us. Because we are all the shouldn'ts. And he invites us to come by faith receive the cleansing that comes when we stand beneath that fountain. Old hymn says there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all the guilty stain. How many are thankful we lost the guilty stain when we stood under the blood of Jesus? I want you to bow your heads with me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You say, Pastor Kevin, I, I am one of those shouldn'ts. I know it and I I thought I had to scrub up and clean up and I just didn't think I could ever clean up and scrub up good enough to come to Jesus. But today you're telling me that he is inviting me to come just as I am. And I want to come to him and I want him to live in my life and fill my life with his love. 
I want to be forgiven by him. I want to become his son or his daughter. If that's you this morning, would you just slip up a hand right where you're at and say, would you pray for me? I want to come to him just as I am. I want to come to him just as I am. Anyone in this room that would say, would you pray for me? Anyone in this room? say this to you before we sing this course. I've said this now twice. I'll say it one more time at the close of the one o'clock service. Something I've been praying about, especially yesterday afternoon. We have really made an effort and we're going to continue to make an effort to make room for as many people as want to come back to come back because I think gathering together with the people of God is important. We want to be smart. We want to distance We know that there are those that have compromising situations. They need to wear masks. And we want want people that want to be here to be here. And so we've done our best and we'll continue to do whatever it takes to make a way for people to come. But what happens with that is sometimes the crowds are much smaller. We had 62 last night. I don't know what we'll have at one. And both of the services at 9 and 11 are not what they used to be. And you all know that with that crowd, sometimes comes that enthusiasm. But that's just, that's just human feeling. I want these services, whether there's 20 or 200, to be where we sense the presence of God. And we're listening to the word of God. And that we're not just checking a box and saying, well, I went to my service this week so that I could be a dutiful Christian. I want us to encounter Jesus in these weeks. We're going to sing this chorus, Come to the Altar. And you certainly can come if you want, but really what this song says is come to Jesus. His arms are open wide. And I want to encourage you. We are all the shouldn't. None of us are perfect and we all need a fresh cleansing. And sometimes in the busyness of this world and all that's going on, it's easy just to go for weeks and weeks and weeks without feeling renewed and refreshed and cleansed. The Father's arms are open wide. We're all the shouldn'ts. We belong together. We're all a bunch of shouldn'ts. We belong together worshiping him. Would you just close with me this service and let's worship him and let's come to that altar, that spiritual altar.